Amen, amen. Hey, hey before, before you sit down, let's do something we haven't done in church in a while. Why don't you just find someone around you, introduce yourself to them and say, I'm so glad you're here worshiping with me. Do it. So good, and uh, hey, let's be reminded that as we come into church um, each and every uh, a weekend that uh, we, we are not just individuals. We're not just individuals. We are um, not in the Church of Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking that there's really two different groups in the church each weekend that, that we gather together and worship. Uh, there are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are, have been adopted into the same family by faith, or there are people that are coming to our church that we really want them to be a part of the kingdom of God. Amen? And so um, we're just so, I uh, want to be a place that welcomes you here. And, uh, you know, my name is Brian Beamant. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, now is just the time in our service when we just get to open up God's word together and, and study it and learn from it. And, uh, and we're asking that the spirit of God would come in power and really apply this word to our lives individually, even as we learn it collectively. So uh, let me just pray for us before we jump into Matthew 5. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for this series in our church. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect on kingdom culture. And God, I'm asking that in the ways, the many ways that you're working in and through our people, that we be reminded that we are not just uh, not alone in the sense of having other um, uh, family members within the body of Christ. We're not alone because you are so good to us as our Father um, and in the sending of your Son gave us a friend and uh, someone who's advocating for us, and through the Spirit, a counselor, and we just um, recognize the goodness of that And uh, this morning, and just ask that as the Word is preached this morning, as we consider your truth, that you would just uh, get a hold of our hearts and do the work that you want to do. We thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I have something to give away, but there's, uh, you, you got you to win this. So if you're in the front row, congratulations. You have a way higher chance of, of getting this. So um, here's the question I'm going to ask, and then the first person to respond, I'll give you and the object that, um, that this company sort of stands for. So here it is. What company advertised with um, uh, this, that's a food company, and they advertise with this slogan, bet you can't eat just one? Okay, I heard it over here, but you guys are going to have to figure out who got it. It's going to toss it over in this area. Somebody said lays behind you. Hand that over there. Somebody said it. I trust you. Okay, one more, one more. Um, what company advertised their food with the slogan, once you pop, you can't stop? Okay, I'm sorry. I, that was loud. There you go, Carson. Okay, so, so the rule of that is you can eat in front of everyone. Um, but if you consume those, I hope you have uh, something to drink because uh, Lay's and Pringles will make you thirsty. We all know that. And, um, you know, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I handed those out because I wanted us to be thinking about uh, hunger and thirst. And uh, today's verse, you know, um, let's be honest, uh, uh, eating, eating potato chips are going to, um, you know, give a certain amount of satisfaction, but it's not going to last long. We, we know that, and uh, the salt is going to make you really thirsty. 
Uh, Today's verse that we're looking at addresses this subject of hunger and thirst. It addresses it, but, but not a hunger and thirst for food that can only temporarily satisfy. Like, what we're talking about today is um, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this righteousness, as we want to understand it rightly, God wants us to understand righteousness in such a way that it can begin to satisfy every aspect of your life every day in every way. And this is the invitation of this verse. Look with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I, I, every time I've read the Beatitudes, this one sort of jumps off the, uh, the, the page to me because I'm like, I want to be satisfied. Like, I want to be satisfied. So at the beginning, as we've tried to reinforce a week in and week out during the Beatitudes section of Sermon on the Mount, uh, these uh, principles about blessed, 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 uh, rightly, should be translated as flourishing, as flourishing. Um, Flourishing comes from actively and regularly being with Jesus. That's how we flourish. It's not from doing uh, right actions. You flourish when you have a be attitude, and we've unpacked that as an attitude dependent on being with Christ. When you're being with Jesus, the the picture here is is that you're hearing from his word, that you're communing with him in prayer, and and, and then in addition to that, you're yielding to the leading of his spirit. And when that happens, you'll manifest these beatitudes, and increasingly so, and you'll flourish in God's kingdom. And that's what I want for your life and for mine, increasingly. And so the big idea this morning is this, for us to consider your deepest longings, are satisfied only when Christ's righteousness is invading your life. Invading your life. Your deepest longings that uh, in so many ways all of humans are kind of born with a need, a, a, a hole in the center of their heart to be filled, it will only fully and consistently be satisfied in Christ. So two exhortations to hear from this verse. The first one is this. Confess the emptiness of unrighteousness. Confess the profound emptiness of unrighteousness. So before we can shine a light on the thing that should compel our hearts, I want to make sure we shine a light on the thing that does not compel our hearts. Because here's the reality of the human heart is that our default, apart from the active work of God through his grace, is always unrighteousness. Like, I know so many of you are like, yeah, I know that. I know that really heavily this week, maybe even this morning, maybe wrestling with it right now. And so I want to process here first with us uh, together. I want to, before looking at what does satisfy, let's make sure we understand the profound emptiness of unrighteousness. Do you actually see it? Have your eyes been opened to the emptiness that unrighteousness creates within you, that it causes so first, let's just take a little simple survey of some uh, passages about unrighteousness in the Bible. Uh, first, Psalm 92, 15. The Lord is upright. He's upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Unrighteousness is counter or opposite to the very nature of God. 
If you're like, man, man, I am just, I'm just rocking it in my relationship with God, but I'm profoundly struggling with unrighteousness, there's, there's something inconsistent about that statement. There's something inconsistent about it. In Romans 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice it doesn't say there that it's going to happen in the future, although it will. It's saying it's happening right now. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's anger, his wrath, as the Bible talks about, his fury, are all aimed against unrighteousness. They're aimed against it. They come against it at every point. Notice that unrighteousness, as it says here, it says it suppresses the truth. Truth is held down. It's, it's, it's restrained in your life. You could almost think about if, the, if truth had a volume, your unrighteousness just turns that volume down. Just turns it down. To where it's sometimes even hard to hear it. It shows how unrighteousness, unrighteousness can deceive you from God's truth because we all know that unrighteousness offers you some element of satisfaction, but it's temporary at best. And then when you participate in, right, in, in unrighteousness, it also has with it all of these consequences that come with it, showing us again and again how empty it is. Romans 2.8, but for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. You're like, ooh. In the list of God's promises, this is not one I want to process through a lot. But, but God gave it to us for a reason. Has a warning. And it, it, there should be a seriousness about it. It's like, I don't want this promise fulfilled in my life. Like, I want to do whatever is necessary so that that promise that God has put in his word is not the reality over my life. God's wrath and fury, though, I want us to understand that it's, it's got a purpose. And I might even dare say a, a loving purpose. It, it's, its purpose is to open your eyes and your heart and your mind to the emptiness of unrighteousness. People say often, they'll use the expression, I finally got to the end of myself. That just means they finally realized, um, this unrighteous path that I'm taking and choosing, it's empty. There's no satisfaction here. And God's calling you to see your emptiness. Maybe it's the brevity of life or the reality of death that calls to you. Maybe it's the way that you see creation subjected to futility and pain and suffering that screams that there must be something more satisfying than that. Maybe it's watching societies or individuals, even your own life, drawn deeper into unrighteousness. All of it's a revelation of God's wrath. Romans 1 is clear. God gives people over to their impurity, to dishonorable passions, and a debased mind. Not to shame them, to draw them back. To get them to a place where they're like, I'm really hungry and thirsty for something different. See the emptiness of unrighteousness. Your deepest longings are not being satisfied in unrighteousness. Uh, a few a week ago, I was I was driving to Grand Rapids um, with my oldest daughter Eliana, and uh, I was not paying attention to my fuel gauge. This is how close to empty I was when I pulled into the gas station. I'm thankful that the uh, that the light um, alerted me to the fact uh, that I was um, almost out of gas. As I was thinking about this, though, I was honestly. Uh, processing through the fact that, you know, car makers, they really know how easily distracted we are from the truth of emptiness. Like, is the gauge not enough? 
like full empty, like we all get that. But that's not enough apparently for us, so now they give us distance to empty, so some of us can be like, how close can I get? And then on top of that, we have a light. Like what more is needed? Like I just don't know, like in the, in the car maker conversation was like, yeah, they really don't get this emptiness thing. Like how many more reminders are we gonna need before we figure this out? They know how distracted we are. We're too easily distracted from the truth of emptiness. But there's a problem. We're not given a fuel gauge for the emptiness of our souls. We're not given a fuel gauge. I don't, I, I can maybe have some clues, and maybe you can get some clues from me by talking to me for a little bit about what's happening, but, but I, I can't look at you and go, man, they're on empty. They're on empty. Sometimes we're so self-deceived that we can't even look at our own soul and discern the reality of this. When driving down the road of unrighteousness, God will lovingly and mercifully bring you to empty. And the problem is, is we never know when it's gonna happen sometimes, but we can learn from the past. It's unpredictable, eventually what happens is you find yourself alone on the side of the road, frustrated, disappointed, depressed, infuriated, frustrated. And, and, and in that moment, what you start to experience is a hunger and a thirst for something more. Like, this didn't work. It didn't work. Many worldly options leave you alone and at, on empty and never satisfied. For example, vanity will focus you on your appearance and your achievements. Positive feedback becomes the drug that satisfies for just a short time. And then you realize, I've got to keep managing this. It's never ending and it's never truly satisfying. Greed sends us down a, a road of unrighteousness. We give in to the desire to, to want and long for more than is needed and we receive something of value that gives us pleasure, but it's temporary and so we just try to pursue more of it, don't we? It's never ending, never truly satisfying. Sexual immorality from pornography to sexual promiscuity gives pleasure outside of the covenant relationship of marriage, but the, but the desire for unrighteousness only grows and in gross ways and and it's never ending, and it's never truly satisfying. And God speaks loudly into that. And he says, are you hungering? Are you thirsting yet? Because I have something more for you. See, the mercy and love for God in these moments is, is gleaming when you know how to look at it rightly. God in his wrath and fury are leading you to a place where you would be empty in this life so that he could show you his love and point you towards something that would more be more fulfilling than the ways of unrighteousness. And, and as I was thinking about that, I, I just realized that unrighteousness, it distorts, it, it mars, it disfigures God's beautiful image in creation. And God does not and cannot stand by when this is happening. Confess the emptiness of unrighteousness. You know, there is nothing that anyone or any church or any ministry of a church, there is nothing that can be done for you if you are not hungry and thirsty. 
Like there, is, there is no spiritual gain. There is no ad- advancing of sanctification. There is no moving from dissatisfaction to satisfaction if you are not first at the point where you're like, I am empty. Like, and I'm hungry and thirsting for this. I've never been able to get someone to hungry and thirsty. Never. I can, I, can, I can point them to the emptiness of unrighteousness. I can talk to them about the, 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 the power and the satisfaction of righteousness. But you have to confess and believe it and say, all the t- say it all the time over your life. I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And like we say all the time in our church, I cannot want it for you more than you want it for yourself. So, so the, the, this move towards satisfaction that God's offering only comes when we get to a point where we're just like, I am hungry for more. I'm thirsty for more and I'm tired. I'm at the end of myself with this attempt to satisfy myself with unrighteousness. We have to come to a point where we look at the reality of our life in various areas and um, I trust the Spirit of God to convict exactly how the Spirit of God wants to convict this morning and you come to a point where you just go, I'm on the side of the road and I am empty. I'm not fulfilled in this area of my life. We come to a place where we admit we're hungry and thirsty. We come to a place where it's like, God, God, I, I believe that you can bring a vehicle, a buy, to pick me up off the side of the road where I have given myself to unrighteousness and you can give me um, a, a way, a path, a new direction, a new road to travel down that would lead me to true satisfaction. Ask for help from the body of Christ. Ask for help from God in the way that you pray, but you have to recognize it for yourself. You have to. Personally and deeply in various areas of your life, ask for the Spirit of God to give you an increased sensitivity to this, to how you're living and thinking and operating. Confess the emptiness of unrighteousness and declare your hunger and thirst because then, then, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So the only way we hunger and thirst for this next thing is by understanding the emptiness of unrighteousness. So once you're there, then let's see and let's yield to something that truly satisfies. Yield to the power of Christ's righteousness. So confess the emptiness and then yield to the power of Christ's righteousness. Now, before I... But, to, to understand this yielding to the power of Christ's righteousness, we have to sort of unpack a fuller picture of Christ's righteousness. Because as I was studying this week, I, I, I was confronted again and again by the way that I think that we have um, minimized what God intended with this idea of his righteousness. We've limited it in some very religious ways in the church. And so I want to unpack that a bit. We, got, we have to understand the power of Christ's righteousness. The power of it. And, and, and so what I want to say from the outset is that it, we, we, we can't be a church or a people in following God and understanding the power of Christ's righteousness that we're just like, you know what, I just, I just need to know the meaning of it. Although important. And it's got to be more than just, I've got the theological principles of righteousness correct. It's got to be more than that. So, so here's what normally happens. An understanding of righteousness uh, usually um, starts with justification. 
this idea that we talk about in our church all the time, that by faith, Christ's righteousness becomes my righteousness. And so that in that, in that exchange, in the imputation of Christ's righteousness in my life, now when God looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And because of that, he, he looks over, he forgives my sin, and his wrath is turned away, and now I have access to relationship with God. I love justification. It's a powerful reality. It is an unalterable reality. It's rooted in what Christ accomplished in his death on the cross. Or, or, not just justification, we think about righteousness in sanctification. Now, some of us, when we think about that, we run to Romans 5 and 6, and we talk about this, this, this move that happens progressively over time, where I'm formed into the likeness of Christ, and in sanctification, I'm moving away from being a slave to unrighteousness, and I'm like, uh, I'm going to submit to the slavery to righteousness under the work of Christ by his grace. And so we talk about righteousness in light of sanctification. But if we stop there, we've missed a fuller picture of righteousness. R.T. France in his study on the gospel of Matthew rightly explains the meaning of righteousness. He says, righteousness in Matthew is not so much being good or sanctification, being more like Christ, still less legal correctness, there's justification, but rather it's a synonym for the Christian life. The Christian life, day in and day out, moment by moment, viewed as a relationship with God focused in obedience. So let's just survey scripture a little bit and I want you to see a a broader picture of righteousness. I love how the psalmist Um, oftentimes will personify things to capture the relational reality of these things. Psalm 85, 10 through 11 and verse 13. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps a way. There's something happening with righteousness that it is like, near and close, and there's a relational component to it. Look at Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Oppressed by what? Oppressed by the realities of unrighteousness and the fall, sin and all of its complexities. The Lord's working righteousness into us. It's, it's something more than an idea and a theological concept. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now it's not only some sort of power, it doesn't just lead my footsteps, but now I actually become the righteousness of God. This is way bigger than what you might have thought. Romans 6, 19. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That's what I alluded to earlier. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So I'm processing this this week and there's been this book that I've been reading over kind of a long period of time. Um, The title of the book is Crucifixion and it's this this glorious book um, by Fleming Rutledge, such a uh, just unbelievably wise, intelligent, writer and she's uh, talking about this idea of righteousness 
the righteousness of God that flows from the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And she points to righteousness as a power. Note this. Follow along with me. She, she wrote, death is a great power, but the righteousness of God is an even greater power, all the more so. And it is actively at work in tandem with God's grace to overturn the rule of sin and death. And this next part is just so beautiful and compelling to me. It creates in me, like I hope it creates in you, a hunger and a thirst. It says, recapturing the creation and inaugurating or beginning a new rule of righteousness and eternal life. This is what has happened in the cross and resurrection. And suddenly righteousness becomes kind of a bit bigger that you start to see that, that righteousness is this power that transfers people from the rule and reign of sin and death uh, from that rule and reign to the rule and reign of life by grace in Christ. She continues later in that chapter, says this, the righteousness of God is the active recreating power that enables the new life of obedience to take shape. This is what the new life in Christ means. The righteousness of God is not a quality to be imitated, but an active invading power. An active invading power. An active invading power. We've got to yield to the power of Christ's righteousness. It's a power that wants to invade your life and, and then, watch this, and then through your life to invade the world. That's the work of the gospel. It's the work of the gospel. It's always been that way. It's this power of Christ's righteousness that invades. This week, we had um, monthly, uh, kind of the first week, first full week of the month, we have an all-staff meeting. And so we were meeting together, and at the end of our all-staff meeting, after we've just kind of shared and had a meal together and, and just talked about what's ahead for our church, um, we took some time because uh, this month, um, uh, Dylan Shaw and Sarah are going to welcome uh, a beautiful little baby into our world. And uh, so we were, um, those of us who had all already been parent, become parents in the, in the past, so we, we shared some parenting wisdom and encouragement with Dylan. And, uh, you know, Dylan uh, Shaw's on our staff. He oversees our adult ministries. And, and uh, the due day's coming soon. And the daughter has been building up strength and developing. But soon, she's going to come out of the womb and she is going to invade their life. <laughs> like, she's going to forever change their lives, as any parent knows, in ways that you can explain and ways that you cannot explain until it's right there and you're holding it, her, or him. And uh, at times, it'll feel like the most beautiful joy-giving invasion as, 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 as they get the chance to watch her grow and develop. Other times, it's going to feel like a terrorist invasion leading a path of destruction, like smells and messes and financial costs and emotional meltdowns. But, 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 but here's the thing. Through the highs and the lows, they will know that she's invaded their life. And there will be no question about that. They're not going to be like, has she, has she come? You just, you just don't ask those questions when a child has come into your life. The power of Christ's righteousness, the intent of the power when apprehended, when received by faith, is that it invades your life. 
And I think that our understanding of righteousness can become too pretty, like, like too perfectly and theologically defined, too ivory tower. And I think those important principles around righteousness are, are essential and theologically important. Don't miss me in that. But, but they might be theologically correct in their connection to justification and sanctification and all of the things. But we cannot allow this, this, discon- this to disconnect righteousness from the mess when it invades our lives. There's a certain part that when righteousness invades your life, it, it, it just makes a mess of your life in really good redemptive ways. Through faith, yield to Christ's righteousness. It's a power that wants to invade your life. Remember that it, that it comes in love. It, it comes to rescue and reconcile and redeem. It, it, it consumes your mind and affects your thinking. It ruins the joy and pleasure of the sin through supernatural conviction. That's the work that it will do. It will alter every part of your life. You never forget when righteousness invades. You don't forget. You don't forget. Think about even the things that we talked about earlier. Like, instead of vanity, let modesty invade. And suddenly there's like this peace, like, I don't have to carry that. And honestly, the modesty that comes from knowing the beauty of the way that I've been created is, is, is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Instead of greed, let generosity invade. Let you find a contentment and an opportunity with what you've been given. Instead of sexual immorality, let relational faithfulness invade. And watch the joy and the peace and the healing that it brings to your heart. Places where some have been profoundly broken. And I ask you this question, is this the nature of righteousness in your life? Is it, is it active? Is it recreating? Is it a power that's, that's, that's pressing into so many areas of your life and in some situations walking in and making a, a mess as it's sort of overturning all of the the expectations of your life or your perspective or your feelings or your emotions or your thinking or your actions, is it a power that's invading? Is it? Because it's, it's, it's got to for us to understand and walk in the goodness of it and be satisfied as this verse beckons us with and invites us to. It's got to be a power that's invading. If that's the truth in your life, then I'd encourage you to continue to do the things in your life that have uh, led the, the graces that maybe you've walked in that have led you to this point. But if not, let me just speak to your heart this morning and say the gospel has more for you. More for you. Or it's possible that there may be some aspect of the gospel that has not yet landed on your heart. Righteousness is a power that wants to invade. And so, listen, here, in, in, in these regards, Here's what we're going to continue to do as a church because we, we can't, we can introduce this to you, but you have to get to a place where you're hungry and thirsty like we already talked about. What we're going to do as a church, like we've all consistently done, is we're going to continue to work on creating and leading people into spiritual environments where you can meet with the Lord. 
We're going to raise your awareness of the power of righteousness. That's our heart in all that we do and, and, and the problem with unrighteousness. Everything that we do as a church, both formally and informally, I want you to know that our greatest passion is to lead you to an awareness of and an encounter of the power of Christ's righteousness. Both, both in those environments and then out of those environments. Like this power is not something that can ever be contained in, a, in just a Sunday service or whatever other opportunities or gatherings. When the power of righteousness has started to be recognized in your life and you're yielding to it, it will start to enter into every part of your life. Just recreating the beauty of God's intention and creation and wooing you with its satisfaction that it might pervade in every area of your life. And, and so into this, I just want to encourage you, like Jesus has accomplished everything. That's a glorious reality of justification and the glorious reality in the, of the invitation of sanctification is, is that if you yield to it, God will work itself. God will work it through all of your life. So yield. That's the word. Participate. Yield when you're gathered with God's people. Be looking for what God's teaching you and leading you and convicting you and, and pointing you towards. Yield when you gather together in community groups and we're praying for one another and encouraging one another. Take the ownership of the way that your gifts can be used to, to stir that up and to, to be even a, a revelation of God's righteousness. Testify of the things that God's doing in your life even in the midst of the struggle Yield when you read God's word, like get your eyes on God's word and go, God, I want you to, to, to have, I want, when I read your word, I want it to be an encounter with the power of your righteousness. Yield in prayer. Yield when facing the temptation of sin and go, I, I know that I could chase after that, but it, I know it doesn't satisfy. And I'm hungering and thirsting for more. Yield in relationships to one another. Yield in every way, in every moment of every day, not to follow the Christian rules, but instead yield to the power of Christ's righteousness. That is what I want for your life and for my life increasingly. And so now, even as we close this service, what we're going to do is we're just going to walk uh, in communion together. And communion's a place where we really learn to yield. Communion was instituted as a remembrance. So much of what we do, even when we preach God's word, is to remind us of these things. So today we're going to approach Christ to take the elements of communion, the bread and the juice. And, and these symbols are symbols literally of satisfaction. Satisfaction that Christ's righteousness brings. The bread points to, the, to Jesus being the bread of life. The juice points to his blood poured out that satisfies our constant thirst for forgiveness. So our communion servers are coming now, and in a moment, the trays are going to be passed, and, and I want you to take the two cups stacked on top of one another, the bread and the juice, and I want you to hold on to them, and we'll take them together in just a few moments. If you're not a follower of Christ, let the trays pass. But as you hold on to the elements, I want to encourage you just to thank God for sending his son. It's Christ's righteousness. He made it all possible through his work on the cross. Thank Jesus as you're holding on to these, these symbols of what he's done for you. Thank him for his sacrifice. Thank him for his righteousness that can be yours, that can be a power in your life. It's been released through his death on the cross.
confess the emptiness of unrighteousness if there's places in your life that you're just like, I'm empty. I'm empty. I am that person on the side of the road. And I need to confess the emptiness of unrighteousness. And I want to ask God, would you help me to yield to the power of your righteousness? Confess your need for communion as you're holding on to this communion elements. Confess your need for this reality every day. Multiple moments throughout the day, just like the rhythm of food and drink. God, I need this communion with you to be pervading and invading every aspect of my life. Process that before the Lord as the elements are passed and hold on to them and we'll take them together in just a few moments. Let's do this now.